Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Happy Groundhog's Day, everyone. Now, I spent the last 10 years living in or around downtown Los Angeles. So for the most part, Groundhog's Day meant absolutely nothing to me. But since having relocated to the mountains above the city, winter has taken on a whole new meaning. For those wondering, Puxatani Phil did in fact see his shadow this morning predicting six more weeks of winter. So I suppose we have that to look forward to. But on to warmer news. I have an excellent show laid out for you this evening. I finally received a call I've been waiting nearly a year for, but I'll touch on that a little later in the show. Before we get into all that, I'm going to address this for the final time. Next week's episode is the Season 2 finale. And as most of you already know, the focus of that special show is hometown legends. Now, many have called in and shared their stories about their particular hometowns, but I need more stories. So if you've been on the fence or have a story but have been putting it off, please pause the show now and call in. Together we can make this season's finale the best episode yet. Just a reminder, the toll-free hotline is 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6- And thank you to all those that have already submitted. Okay, let's get this show started. When I started this show nearly a year ago, I had visions of covering a wide array of topics including, but not limited to, cryptids such as, you know, Mothman, the Skateboard Swamp Lizard Man, and the elusive Chupacabra. Included in that list of coveted creatures is the subject of our first call. Finally, the Jersey Devil. Hey, Derek. My name is Mariah, um, long-time listener. I'm calling in for about the second time to leave you another interesting story as I am a treasure trove of them. So my story takes place Um, It's actually not my story, it's my mom's story, but she doesn't like to talk about it much. Um, But my story is about the Jersey Devil. Um, You've mentioned it a few times, and it's really pushed me to call, so uh, here it is. Um, When my mom was a kid, she grew up in the Pine Barrens in South Jersey, and uh, her family were Pineys. That's how they're referred to in that area, or at least that's the modern slang um, for people who kind of live in the woods out in that area. Um, so they were farmers, um, but they were like near the Pineys, 
Um, and uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but there's actually several stories that surround the Jersey Devil. Um, some people believe that he looks like uh, just like a horned goat, kind of with wings and all sorts of different things. Um, and there's a large group of people who don't have a visual for what they believe the Jersey Devil to be. Um, my mother told me that growing up, they were always told, um, if you hear the train coming, that's the sound of the Jersey Devil starting to whip through, and to just don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. The big thing is don't look at it. You don't even want to look at it. You don't want to know what it looks like. You don't want to talk about what it looks like. Because if you hear the train, there's no train running through that area. If you hear the train, you look away, you run, you hide, just get away. So anyway, um, the story must have taken place at least 50 years ago, as I said, because um, my mom's a little bit older. So, you know, um, they were out in the fields one evening late, from what I understand. Uh, she was with her parents and um, her grandparents, her dad's um, parents, I believe. And uh, they were all, you know, out in the fields doing whatever, collecting crops or, you know, don't know time of year, don't know exactly um, but my mom says they were out in the field and they heard the train coming through and her grandfather yelled at them that everyone should just run back to the house. Don't look back, just run to the house. And so everyone ran to the house and um, got to the house and they were all winded and looking at each other and they realized um, grandpa's not here. Um, so about five or ten minutes later, grandpa walks back in the door and he is just white and ashen and everyone is really shocked and they ask him what happened and at first he won't talk and eventually he tells them i saw him i saw the jersey devil um and i'm not familiar i'm not sure if you're familiar with the story but uh or the the exact tale of the jersey devil um but what my mom had always said was that if you see the jersey devil you'll die three days later so my grandfather or my great-grandfather my mom's grandfather um comes in claiming to have seen the jersey devil and sure enough, three days later, he died of a heart attack. Um, so that's my story. That's about how my great-grandpa died. Uh, very, very interesting to me. Like I said, I always grew up with um, the stories about the Jersey Devil. And like I said, always running when you hear the train come through. And even as I was a child growing up in northeastern Pennsylvania, I knew these stories. And if I ever heard a strong wind that sounded like a train, I did the same thing. So um, I just thought it might be interesting. Like I said, I've heard you mention the Jersey Devil a few times, and that's the only story I have about him. So I hope you like it. Um, I love your podcast. You're doing great work. Thanks, Derek. Bye. Thank you, Mariah. Your description of the creature's scream reminds me of the tornado sirens my small town had when I was growing up. And weirdly enough, we were given the same warning. When they sounded, run for it and don't look back. The Jersey Devil is an interesting cryptid. Without going too deep into it, the legend says that a woman by the name of Mother Leeds lived deep in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. When the mother of 12 learned she was expecting her 13th, she declared that this one would be the devil. And according to legend, that was the case. Upon its birth, the creature busted through a window and disappeared into the darkened woods of the Barrens. Over the next two centuries, hundreds have claimed to have witnessed the creature, including the brother of Napoleon Bonaparte. Many more have claimed to heard the blood-curdling scream put forth by the creature. And speaking of strange screams, a listener in South Carolina by the name of Taylor sent the following clip in hopes that someone out there could identify the origin. 
According to Taylor, the recording was taken at 3 a.m. Here is that sound. Thank you, Taylor, for sending in this clip. To be honest, I believe we are hearing a large pack of coyotes or koi wolves at a distance. For those that haven't heard of the koi wolf, it's exactly as it sounds. A mix between a wolf and a coyote. Apparently, the hybrid creature is making its way through the Midwest. Now, I managed to pull up a clip from YouTube that, that to me, sounds very similar to Taylor's recording. The uploader claims the sound in the following clip is just that. A pack of coyotes. So, what say you? Do they sound the same? Thank you again, Taylor. I hope this helps you identify what you heard that evening. Now, back to Mariah. She kind of hit me with a double shot here. She called in a second call that also topped off the bucket list for me. I don't normally play two calls from the same caller, but these subjects really resonated with me. So, here is her second call. Hey Derek, my name is Mariah. Um, I'm originally from a small town in Pennsylvania, uh, but I went to college in uh, in Montreat, North Carolina, which is uh, just a little bit outside of Asheville and uh, very much in the mountains and in the Appalachians. And um, I've heard you mention before. I know you're at least familiar with uh, the Brown Mountain Lake. So this is going to be a story about my experience with the Brown Mountain Lights, and I don't know if this is a hometown thing or how you would consider it, but anyway. Um, I was in college, so this was seven years ago. Um, it must have been in the fall, because I remember making new friends over this, so it had to have been late August, early September um, 2010, 2010. So... Um, I'm sitting out in the quad area, kind of just, I don't know, uh, open view of the mountains. And um, the school that I went to is sort of at the bottom of a little bit of a valley. So you can look up and see the mountains all around you. And, and it's basically built into the hillside at one point, too. So mountains everywhere, super out in nature, just in the middle of the Appalachians. And um, one night, like I said, early on in the semester, um, me and a bunch of people just hanging out. I probably only knew one or two of the people that I was with, but then ended up being joined by um, almost a dozen other people. And we're all just sitting around. It started getting late. It started getting dark. We're all just talking. And then all of a sudden, these lights start to show up. Um, there were, like, orbs. And there were two orbs, and they would raise up and lower parallel to one another um, just up on the mountain. Um, and we watched them just raise up and lower and raise up and lower and get higher. And they were just very consistent 
and they went above the tree line so we knew that they were at least you know when they went up in the air they were probably 50 60 feet in the air and then they'd come back down and um as i said they were adjacent to each other and just going up and down and up and down and up and down and then at one point they disappeared and they came back and they continued and when they came back the second time i believe they split so then there were four lights and they would go up about you know 20 feet above the tree line and then they would split and then the light the top light would go 60 70 feet above the tree line and come back to the middle one or come back to the bottom one and then go back down into the trees and go up and stop and up and down um and someone suggested you know military testing or something like that to us at one point um and we just watched in amazement the lights for what seemed like hours but realistically was probably an hour or less maybe 45 minutes to an hour um and when they finally disappeared for good and we felt confident that they had disappeared for good, you know, they did once again come back with some time just sitting there talking. And everyone just got sort of very uncomfortable. Um, the area that we live in uh, or that we were living in at the time, the area that the school is in, is one of the most um, highly concentrated areas in the nation, or at least of, was at the time, of um, Wiccans. And so we thought maybe there was just some someone was worshiping somewhere in some way or, you know, you just don't know. Um, so a bunch of us hopped into my new friend's minivan and drove up the mountain in search of the lights. Um, and we never found the lights, but we went, as we were driving, we, uh, we felt there was a certain tree line that once we moved past it, it was like everyone in the car felt like we had just this negative feeling we all just looked at each other and said did you feel that did you feel the negative come down over you um so it was really strange it was very very odd i know that the brown mountain lights um typically look more like flashlights or lanterns or you know it it is what it's supposed to be it looks like confederate men looking for their troop and we didn't feel like these were the brown mountain lights that wasn't the same thing. We felt like um, aliens or something. I don't know, but uh, very, very interesting to see and witness and experience. Um, I feel that I've had a lot of supernatural experiences in my life, but this one was definitely something that uh, sort of took my breath away. Um, I remember making someone walk me back to my dorm room to go to bed every single night for the next few weeks after that because I was just so unsettled by it, and I was unsettled by the fact that that tree line where we felt the dark presence was just so close to school and stuff, so. Thank you for both of your contributions, Mariah. For those that aren't familiar with the Brown Mountain Lights, the following is a news story from WCNC in Charlotte, North Carolina, detailing the mysterious lights. Well, tonight is the last of our week-long Carolina Traveler ghost stories. Yeah, here's an especially spooky story for you on Halloween night here. Uh, for hundreds of years, mysterious lights have appeared on Brown Mountain, North Carolina. Mike Redding explores the mystery and finds new geological evidence to support what locals say. The lights are the spirits of the dead from a battle fought on that mountain long, long ago. Strange tales of this mountain have been told from generation to generation for hundreds of years. The legend states the first to speak of the mystery 
Cherokee and Catawba Indian tribes 800 years ago. No one has solved the mystery. What are these lights? Captured here in photographs, there are no roads and no homes on the mountainside, no artificial lights, yet the lights keep appearing and disappearing. I've seen them since I was around 16 years old. At the bottom of the mountain, they come up in uh, little red lights, so then they fade away. Patsy Keller has seen the mythic lights and she's heard all the folklore about what they might be. The oldest saga told is that of a vicious battle in the 12th century between warring Indian tribes. So many warriors were slaughtered that young Indian maidens came to the mountain at night to search for any sign of life. The scene was so tragic and overwhelming that the maidens, their torches held high, haunt the mountain to this day. Some say the very geology of the mountain is sending a clue. Look at this picture of Brown Mountain from a satellite in a close-up shot with the creek bed at the base of the mountain highlighted. You can make out the profile of a Native American face looking toward the battlefield. I would say uh, an extensive study. Cliff Rose says Brown Mountain has been poked and prodded and put under a microscope and skeptics say it's all myth. We were in the right place at the right time. But photographer Brian Irish says he finally has evidence. He is the first to capture the mystery on tape. This home video shot from three and a half miles away. The Brown Mountain lights are flashing and dancing just the way people have described it for centuries. You must have your eyes focused where they are and, and be lucky in that respect. The next thing is that they must appear and the last thing is that you must believe that they are there. Now, as for Mariah's encounter, the first thing that popped into my mind was that someone was playing around with a couple drones at a distance. This could explain the orb-like lights, the aerial acrobatics, and the momentary breaks the lights took. But, as I brought up in the past, how popular were drones seven years ago? Sure, they're commonplace now, but thinking back to 2010, I don't recall seeing them nearly as often as I do now. Of course, that does not rule them out, but it does seem to make the explanation a bit less plausible. So if anyone else has witnessed the lights, please call in and share your encounter. I'd love to see how the two stack up. As for the news story I just played, I encourage you to head over to the show notes for this episode and watch the video. There's some interesting footage of what witnesses claim to be the infamous Brown Mountain Lights. And now for our final call of the evening. The following is Tanner's call about a Ouija experience with a twist ending. Hi, um, uh, my name is Tanner, and I have been listening to podcasts, I mean, probably every day now, while working, um, I have a desk job, and I stumble across your podcast along with some others, and I say that I love your guys' stuff, I love it that you bring back your personal account, and finally, after talking to a few relatives and stuff, I thought I'd try and call in and bring some of my own. Um, I do have one that is sort of kind of a little bit farther backstory with my personal family. Um, let's just say it happened with my brother, and my little brother, the youngest, is kind of the daring one, crazy one. He kind of was the one that would try and dabble and play around with, with some of the stuff. I mean, he was the drinker and partier out of all of us. 
we did watch over him and try to make sure he was okay and stuff. But yeah, he he did do that a lot. I admit, his friends always try to come up with the craziest stunts to do. Half the time when they're or coming into the house, they're if they're leaving the house, they're doing something, and then they're coming in the house, they're running from something like a neighbor or a cop or something. I don't know. For a few months or so, though, he was very really recluse. If he was probably fourteen, fifteen, he would just leave at night and say he's going with his friends and. You know, he would, we all just assumed he was going to a party or something. Um, my parents kind of just sh- shut up the fact that it was a party and there was alcohol. But during this time period, about three months, the more he went out, the later he stayed out. And he'd come back and be, like, afraid or tired. We didn't know why or what was going on. And my dad pushed him and pushed him and said, why are you going out? Well, you've been going out and you've been or staying out till early morning and then you come in around five or six o'clock, what have you been doing? Finally, he said, we got a Ouija board. And as soon as he, my little brother said we had a Ouija board, my dad went off the handle. He said, get rid of it, burn it, don't touch it, don't play with it. And then my little brother said, well, I've been going out and to, haunt, to haunted areas or areas like cemeteries and stuff and have been trying it. My dad already just, you know, called for an invite from any spirit or ghost or demon. My dad was really, really against it, said, you can't do this anymore. Please don't do this anymore. And my little brother, you know, said, okay, I won't. And he, a few days later, went out again. My dad thought he was going to a party or something or going to hang out with friends and something. And the next day he wakes up and finds my brother is, like, wide awake and can't sleep. And he's in, he's in the kitchen and they get into a fight. And they're arguing, and he said, what have you been doing all night? And he said, all right, all right, I'll tell you the truth. I went to this cemetery, and the cemetery was kind of on, like, or on the, the border of being active. We, and so going back to, to his situation, he said, we decided to go out to the cemetery. They walked into about the middle of the graveyard, and I think it was my brother and his friend Tom and a few other friends. And I think there was probably about four or five of them. Um, when he was telling us the story, you could tell he was getting more and more upset and panicked, like almost like he was just a kid, like not wanting to. Just he doesn't he didn't want to open up for what he did. My dad wasn't trying to scold him, but just trying at least hope that he's okay. And they're all sitting in the circle. When they get out the Ouija board and they set it on the grass and they get the planchette out, they all put their hands on it, on their their fingertips on it. And Tom asked, "Is there anybody?" here with us tonight it moved over to yes and you know then they're all playing the joke like you know they you know they played with the Ouija board a few times they it was one of those things where you know it's it's kind of like the first time you play with it even even though it's, you know you keep playing with it the first time you're always like oh how you moved it oh how you moved it oh you moved it and they said well let's ask it again is there anyone here with us and then pushed to it again and said yes so then they said are you powerful and it moved back over to the board and on the board and said yes again finally Tom asked probably the dumbest question to ask something that you cannot see, but Tom said, how powerful are you? And he, and it said, it spelled out very, V-E-R-Y, and then he said, if you're so powerful, can you show us? At this point, they said it went that creepy, kind of scary, you know, feeling like they're being watched, that something's behind them. I mean, on all sides of them, though, but behind them in the sense, like, each one of them said there's something behind them, but, they, but they're but they sitting in the circle. 
my brother and Tom were sitting next to each other. They said they felt like they could they could feel like that something was just 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 close proximity to them. And my brother said, finally, it felt like that there was a head or a face or something between our between us, like somebody was trying to creep into the circle, as though like you could feel like somebody was like leaning in on us on our on our the backs of our shoulders. And then we heard a snarl, like a dog snarl and a growl and a vicious aggressive bark. But the thing was is that it wasn't far off. It was audibly and like at the level of in our ear. Like as though it could have been if this was a real animal, this canine creature walked up between us, stuck its head in the middle of the circle and snarled and growled to try and scare us away. Like it was immediately trying to attack us. As soon as my brother said I heard the growl in my right ear Tom heard it too. We both looked at each other, and there's nothing between us, and we're looking straight at each other. The other two or three kids in front of us just were all. By the time we look, by the time they looked back at the our two or three kids, they're already up and running. My brother and Tom got up and ran too, and Tom turned back around, totally forgot the Ouija board, and decided to run back and grab it. I don't know why you would want to do that, but he decided to. Uh, my little brother apparently has to be taken home, and. Turned on all the lights and, you know, tried everything he could to stay in his room. And the next morning when he woke up, I mean, he had the most gnarliest bags under his eyes. You could tell he was just not calm and could not be calm for a while. After that, he never really, he never touched them again, never wanted to deal with them again. He still hangs out with those friends, but he just doesn't ever play with that stuff from what I've heard. But I hope that this finds, like, some well. It's a weird Ouija experience, and it's from, you know, my brother's account. I don't think that he probably was drinking or doing any drugs that night. I think that they were probably sober for these things. They wanted to be sober for these things if it happened. I really, but I hope that, like, this can at least find some sense. Thank you, Tanner, for taking the time to share your brother's experience. It's hard to speculate what your brother and his friends encountered that night. The possibilities range from a group hallucination or stray dog to a prank gone wrong or a demon canine out for vengeance. The only advice I'd give your brother and his friends going forward, if they were to take up the hobby again, is to please respect the cemetery, its monuments, and its resting inhabitants. Too often kids and even adults cause damage to these stones and memorials. I should also add that it's actually illegal to be in a cemetery at night in most states, so that's something else watch out for. Thank you again for your call. And that's going to close us out for this episode. But before I go, I want to tell you about a podcast I've been listening to called Into the Fray. Shannon and the gang produce an awesome weekly show, typically with guests that discuss topics ranging from the hat man to legend tripping, and covers such subjects as Boggy Creek, Groom Lake, Mothman, and a multitude of other strange and unusual subjects. If you like this show, you will thoroughly enjoy Into the Fray. Look for it on iTunes, Stitcher, and their website at intothefrayradio.com. Speaking of things we enjoy, if you enjoyed tonight's episode and would like to support the show, there are three excellent ways to do so. First, you can leave positive feedback wherever you're listening to the show. I've found that many have difficulty leaving feedback on iTunes, so here's how you do that. Open the podcast app, search for Monsters Among Us Podcast, click on the album art for the show, click on the Reviews tab on the following page, 
and at the top of the next page says, write a review, and there you go. The second way to support the show is by telling a friend. Share the show on social media or tell that weirdo friend you have. I promise they'll love it. Lastly, you can make a donation of any size through the donate page on the website at www.monstersamonguspodcast.com. All three are extremely helpful and extremely appreciated. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu in Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.